Welcome back to a new episode of Empathy Always Wins. My name is Ali Salama, and it is my honor and pleasure to host you on today's Empathy Always Wins episode with a very special guest by the name of Jeremy Miller. But before we go into today's episode, there are a couple, I was just going to say a couple of cute, cute couple. There are a couple of things that I would love to touch base on. So we, what do we do? What do we do on this podcast? We do something that is very simple. We dissect what it means to be an empathetic leader. Yes, this is primarily aimed at youth change makers, but this by no means limits us to talk to elder leaders and more established leaders. So by all means, this podcast truly is a guiding force for anyone that wants to adopt empathy within their leadership styles to be better parents, better teammates, better friends, better siblings, and better human beings, period. Anyways, let's get into it with today's episode with Jeremy Miller. Here's a little bit about Jeremy. Jeremy Miller is a branding expert. He's the best-selling author of Sticky Branding. Jeremy is the president of Sticky Branding. He shows organizations of all sizes how to stand out, attract customers, and grow remarkable brands. And we actually kicked it off very well in our pre-call before bringing Jeremy here on the show. He's a globally recognized branding expert and the best-selling author. Oh shit, I just said that. So Jeremy's path into branding wasn't traditional. He fell into it out of necessity. He was watching his family's business nearly hit rock bottom when he was faced to take a hard look at the way the company was run and in their industry as a whole. That led to Jeremy becoming essentially who he is today. And without further ado, this is our episode with the one and only Jeremy Miller. Are you ready? This episode is sponsored by Empower Mag, the Middle East's mental health and wellness magazine. Check out Empower Mag for all the latest and newest articles. Now let's dive deep into our latest episode of Empathy Always Wins. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for coming on Empathy Always Wins. Um, it's uh, it's crazy how sometimes you can meet someone um, five days ago and uh, and yet connect with them on a very 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 uniquely deep level and uh without further ado i'd just like to dive deep into it and give you the floor to explain more about what you do more about your book and more about what is sticky branding well ali i gotta say uh, it is funny how you're absolutely five days ago we connect and uh and passion and energy and everything comes together so super super high level to introduce myself so i am a, a brand strategist a speaker an author i run a company called sticky branding and i work with organizations from around the world to help them grow what i would call sticky brands and what that means is how do you get somebody to know your brand like it trust it and ultimately choose you first and i think any company of any size can grow a sticky brand it's a choice it's a choice to build that connection with your customers to have that authenticity and that energy to do something remarkable and to cut your own path. And so I love to empower and help organizations and entrepreneurs achieve that. And so that's kind of my day job. And then uh, getting to speak with entrepreneurs like yourself that are doing something really, truly remarkable is probably just the greatest gift I, I can ask for. 
Thank you. Um, you know, sometimes we don't take into account that people like us need a little bit of a push from from you guys. And it's uh, I find it so refreshing because when I have a conversation with a renowned sort of thought leader, uh, they often pass me on to someone else and ask me, hey, I think you should you should connect with one of uh, this person. And I often find that so interesting because there's this energy of giving, giving, giving. Um, and I see that level is pretty much being at the top. And I feel like this, uh, this way of thinking is so contagious for growth and, 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 and empathy and, mm. and really feeling like a deep sense of care for, for, for progress. I'd like, I'd like you to comment on that a little bit. Well, we live in a world of abundance that there is so many smart people, so many generous people, so many people that you can learn from and gain from and collaborate from. And I think one of the the ways that really separate people that are moving forward and accelerating in their careers from everyone else is that, uh, em- or is that abundance mindset versus the scarcity mindset. So the people that keep their network close to their, their vast are in a, a scarcity mindset. And so when I hear, heard your story, immediately I knew other people that were in a similar vein, in a similar track, studying empathy, studying leadership, trying to do remarkable things. And I knew they would gain from you as much as you would gain from them. And so to be able to have, to make those kind of connections, there's, um, there's an old networking group called BNI for Business Networking International. And they have this philosophy called giver's gain. And I really do believe in that, in that when you are able to be generous, it always comes back. You never know how. It's never, maybe not monetarily, maybe in some other way. But when you're generous, good things come back to you. So that, that I think is just the best way to run your business. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting you say that uh, giving or givers gain. And why I say that is because I, uh, I growing up, I... I usually didn't typically think of that as a as the first thing that would come to mind, um, especially having a very competitive athletic background. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you're very competitive because sometimes it's a bit toxic. Uh, and when I started, uh, you know, embracing a little bit of vulnerabilities, I think with sharing stories, personal stories, you realize that giving something so precious sometimes as a leader, um, mm-hmm. being a little bit vulnerable, breaking some typical boundaries that uh, have uh, traditionally not been broken, it allows for more space and it allows for more connection. And uh, I, I felt that, you know, I just, as, as you know, I just came back from a keynote at, at a school here in Toronto and it's, it never is about the keynote. It's about the conversations after the keynote, because it's about how you touch someone and how they interpret their story within themselves to say me too. I actually felt this and that. So I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into your background. How did you start and, and where, like, how is, how have you become the person you've become today with all these great ideas that have been running in your mind? And I know beforehand, you also spoke about typically your family wasn't, didn't have that mindset. How could, how could someone break through that mindset and, and, and achieve that level of abundance and, and, and empathy? Well, you raise a really interesting point when you look at vulnerability versus being competitive. Um, and I think it's there. I don't think they're opposite. I think they're actually complementary. that when you are vulnerable, you're actually a better competitor. Now I am uh, very competitive as well. Like when I look at m- writing a book, it's, 
it, it, it's like battle planning and I take it super seriously and it's super emotional. And if I see there's someone else coming out with a, a related title, I'm all mental and like trying to like destroy them and things like that. It's absolutely not health, healthy in that mindset, but it isn't that internal fuel, but it's not ever, you don't, I don't think you have to, I don't think you have to use it in a negative fashion uh, on other people. And I, I think collaboration actually makes you a better competitor. Um, now to answer your question of my origin story, like so many other people, my career has been squiggly. Uh, I started out in the software industry as a salesperson. And where that actually came from is my parents owned a family business. And in high school, I think at some point, probably around grade nine or 10, I told my mom, when I grew up, I'm going to take over the family business. And I think she panicked. <laughs> She's like, oh, crap. Uh, so she had that little bit of a panic attack. And then when they talked to their friends and they said, you do not want your kids to become a lucky sperm. And, and what that meant was you don't want to make an entitled child. They don't want to just gift them the company. They got to work for it. And, uh, and so what my parents did is they created criteria for my brother and I, if we wanted to join the company someday. And they were, we had to have a university education. We had to work in the real world for at least four years. And we had to have relevant experience to, and we had to apply. So there had to be a job in the company. So all those conditions had to be met. Well, when I my first job at a school was in sales. I sold software and basically four years of the day I joined my family's business and it was in the HR recruiting space. Now my foray and or my, my start in branding actually came out of rebranding my family's business. That was the very first project marketing project I'd ever worked on. And it would happen because we didn't know it at the time, but our company was being disrupted by Social media, Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, they changed the, all the rules of our industry and our sales collapsed. And I, and I remember having to learn how to create a new strategy, a new plan to make my company successful. And the way I did that was by changing the company name and, and rebranding and repositioning it into a totally new industry. And in doing so, we embraced digital marketing very early. So going back to 2005, we were doing social media marketing, search engine optimization, inbound marketing, all before this stuff was called uh, what we know it today. It wasn't even named back then. And, uh, and what happened is my clients took notice of the work that I was doing. And so they said, hey, Jeremy, we see what you're doing on Facebook. We see what you're doing on email. Can you help us? So I started consulting with big companies and, and helping them embrace digital marketing. Well, fast forward a little bit. When we went through our succession plan, I decided not to buy out my parents. And I did that for a variety of reasons. We can go into it if you're interested, but it's, I made the decision not to buy out my parents. And so what happened was we spun off that little consulting practice that I had created serving these big companies uh, to form what I do today, sticky branding. And then I packaged and sold my family's business. Now it took a few years to do that, but I, after I sold that, I used the commission from that sale to write my first book and everything just continued to spiral and grow. And so it all built off of everything. But if I look back over my shoulder, I could never have predicted where I am today. I could never have seen this in high school. And it's been that uh, opportunities arise, new people enter my life, new, new whatever happened that created the conditions that allowed me to continue to evolve and chase my passions and create a career that I'm immensely proud of and happy that I've had this, all the fortunes that I've had. That's, uh, 
I mean, it's incredible to to hear uh, a story about how someone took a family business and actually um, innovated and pioneered it in in one way, shape, or form. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know, like yourself, I also come from a background in Egypt, where by you know our family was 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 we were we were doing well for ourselves. I was in a really good school and and whatnot, and I feel like. The number one fear our parents always have is, uh, you know, I've, I've heard it once: a generation builds and then a generation spends, uh, because it typically is due to the the what the the, the the mentality that that you know your parents feared as well. And I love that you brought that fact. But what I'm more curious to even know a little bit more on this mm. is is how have you developed in all of that sort of circle and all that growth as a leader how have you noticed some patterns that perhaps weren't the best in in the way that the family business was running if 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 a, if a listener is listening to us right now and they're wondering well how has how has jeremy been able to like get his way through i can't even get a point across to my dad or i can't convince anyone how mm-hmm. there's there's definitely some key characteristic leadership traits and i'd like you to dig in a little bit deeper because that is what truly uh, in my in my point of view makes makes you very 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 special and in, in my mm-hmm. eyes because that is something that is interpersonal we call it soft skills i mean mm-hmm. the, the show's called empathy always wins there's a winning characteristic in what you've done and i'd love yeah. to touch on that what well, there's probably two storylines in here. So how do you work with your parents uh, is I had a great working relationship with my family and my parents and, uh, and it's probably one of the best career experiences I've ever had. Now I know other people who have worked with their family and it hasn't been positive. And, and, but in my case, I think my parents actually started with a very open mindset. And so they, they deliberately made a choice before I started that their job was to create an entrepreneur not a caretaker. Mm-hmm. And so uh, from the very beginning, I had a lot of freedom to break things. So they very much believed in the idea of empowerment, but they also believed that uh, empowerment is a two-way street. You have to step up in order to use the freedom and the authority and the autonomy that you're being given. And I have the personality that took that. And, and, and so uh, I would take challenges, I would change things, I would explore things. And my parents always gave me enough rope to hang myself, but not enough to hurt the business. So that tension was uh, was really, really powerful. And it was an opportunity that I don't think many people get. Mm-hmm. But it did teach me that empowerment is a two-way street. And you really, you want to empower people and give them the freedom to succeed. But people also have to choose how they're going to use that, that freedom, that opportunity. And I think that was a, an important lesson. Um, I also learned, uh, to ask for forgiveness, uh, not permission. So, uh, my dad would have this, this trait where I'd bring him an idea and it would be half baked and wouldn't be very well developed. And he'd say no. And I go, well, and then I turn around frustrated and, th- and then I just go and do it. And my, he'd probably get pissed off, but my mom would talk him down, but he, uh, but I would go and push my idea further and prove it and then bring it back. And then it, oh, I now see what you're talking about. And they would then give me freedom to keep moving. Not always, but at least I always believed in my ideas enough to chase them even when I was said, when someone said no. And I think that's also a really important lesson, especially if you're an entrepreneur, is that you may know something, you may believe someone something, but until you act on it, um, 
it's never going to come to reality. So I think uh, that's the other key lesson is uh, ask for forgiveness, not permission. If you got an idea, chase it. Mm. Um, but not everything was great in this whole story too. So my parents uh, taught me management and they ran a very patriarchal top-down management structure. They're baby boomers. That was the way they ran the company. And it was all <laughs> guardrails and structure and, and treating employees like peons. And I hated it. It was, it, it didn't work. So when I saw the family business and focused solely on sticky branding for eight years, I had no staff because I had convinced myself that I wasn't a good leader. I wasn't a good manager, that that wow. wasn't a, a path that I wanted to be. I love to mentor. I love to coach. I love to do these things, but I did it as a consultant because I, I had had the false belief that I wasn't good at it. Mm. Um, but last year I, uh, I was launching my book, brand new name, and I knew I needed help. And so, uh, I hired, uh, my first employee in several, several years, a lady out in Calgary named Sarah, and she's absolutely wonderful. But what I did to get, go there was I looked at everything that didn't work for me under the way my parents ran the business and managed people and said, okay, what is the better way? And I really leaned into the ideas of trust, vulnerability, and empowerment. And so I said to myself, what would it take to be successful? Well, trust someone a hundred percent implicitly on day one. You don't have to earn trust you get the and the infrastructure for someone to be successful. And I think empowerment very much is creating those uh, that infrastructure for someone to be able to do their job and vulnerability it comes into this as well. And that you have to embrace your fear control and, and top down are ways to control your competitive instincts, to deal with people, to manage the situation, mm -hmm. but you got to push that stuff away. If you want to trust, if you want to empower, if you want to give people the tools to be successful, you have to be vulnerable and let them be them. And you have to be you and, and, and share what's working, what isn't working. And that's scary as all hell. Um, at least it was for me, but going into it, it, it's just past one year with Sarah and I, and it's been transformational. And it convinced me that the paradigms that I had from before we're actually wrong. And, and so I'm, I'm now stepping on the gas to grow, to hire, to bring on more people. Like I wish I had discovered this a few years ago. What's one character, what's one thing you see, I'm in that same spot at the moment. And I, I love how you mentioned, uh, you know, you, you couldn't simply, it wasn't an, it wasn't your favorite thing to work with other people because of that false belief. Um, how have you been able to, to, to break out of that? And what's, what do you do to find the right fit? If, if, if our listeners are, are at a great like, starting point within their venture or, or, or thinking of expanding a team, or even if it's a student group at a, a university, mm -hmm. what's one thing as a leader that you ask yourself when you're looking for uh, people that are mission and purpose driven just as you are? I think there's a pre-step and I think that is you have to know what the company needs. I think 50% of hiring mistakes happen because you don't have an effective job description. And so I really do, do believe fundamentally that it's the leader's job to make somebody successful in their job. They can't 
organically just figure out what you need and, and suddenly be making you money and profitable. You've got to put in the process, the infrastructure, the support, and that should start even before you're interviewing. So creating a clear job description of what you need, I think is the starting point. Uh, and then in terms of hiring and selection, um, I think it's, you got to kiss a lot of frogs to find a prince. Like it's not just one person, it's interview, get your job postings out there. Maybe look beyond your, your, your own city. When I interviewed, I was looking, I started looking in Toronto where I'm based, but when I realized I wasn't finding what I was looking for, I started posting in Halifax, Ottawa, Calgary. And that's when I started to start to see even more talented people that had a very different job environment. And so Go out and interview and get to know people and and trust your gut. Like it's two parts. You're looking for technical skill, and then you're looking for cultural and value-based fit. And if you're small and it's just two of you or three of you, that culture fit is everything. So if you don't trust them, if you don't trust them implicitly on day one before you've even started, you're not the right person. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing uh, is primarily becoming a paradigm shift in today's big organizational culture and these the largest brands that exist in our marketplace today and and and, and how how does how are you seeing uh, or does empathetic leadership win in teams that that have leaders embrace vulnerability and allow for openness i mean you've definitely had a lot of experience and if there's a story you'd like to share please feel free again to to name mm-hmm. the story perhaps not not the explicitly sure. the person yeah um So I do believe there's a paradigm shift going on and that is we're dealing with so much complexity, so much disruption, so much change that having a patriarchal top down culture or bureaucratic culture is not very successful, even for the largest companies of the world. And so in my new book, Brand New Name, one of the core premises of it is the idea of employee co-creation. And what I argue in the book is that everybody is creative and inside every organization is immense creative potential, but most of it goes untapped because we're either too busy or we don't recognize the creative talent in others. Mm. But if you look, down the chain, it, down to just the hourly workers, the people cleaning the the, the building, uh, the the receptionists, uh, like the 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 lowest people. It's not to to de- to, de- to denigrate them, but the the people who who are we say the marketing team or the executive team, they have immense creative opportunity or potential, and they're usually not asked to participate in strategic decisions. And I really do believe it is the organizations that are trying to unlock the creative genius of their teams and their employees are the ones that are winning today. And so what I show in the book, at least, is how do you get all of your employees involved to name or rename anything? And it shows a three-stage naming sprint on how to do that. And the thinking behind this is, hey, I want to show you how to create brilliant brand names and to grow your business and to grow your brand. But there's a subtext to this, which goes to your question on empathy and vulnerability and leadership is I actually want to show leaders the power of, the, of their teams, that if you can experience employee co-creation, if you can experience what actually exists in your organization, those are going to be the moments that really open your eyes to my people are brilliant. How do I use them more? How do I engage them more? How do I ask them to participate more? Rather than hiring a consultant or an advisor, how do I ask my team 
to generate and share ideas. And it's in those moments I think are truly transformational. Um, you know, I, when, 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 when we talk about effective teams, what comes to mind is, uh, of course, many examples, but what is your take on emotional intelligence? Because that's something that I've been, you know, thoroughly going through when you mentioned, of course, like organizations that are winning today that adopt mm. co-creation like Airbnb, you know, all these exponentially, that all the, all the organizations that actually grew exponentially. Um, right. So I think emotional intelligence is everything, especially from a leadership perspective. Um, if you look at what it takes for you and I to grow as entrepreneurs, that I used to have a mentor who used to say to me, the ability for a business to grow is dependent on the ability for, of the entrepreneur to change. And in order to be doing the kind of leadership that we're talking about in terms of employee co-creation, empowerment, any of these ideas, that's all driven off of emotional intelligence. And uh, so one of the, the, the services that I have actually adopted into my business is providing, um, it's a tool called EQI, which is uh, testing and validating emotional intelligence. And I, we, we often bring that to teams and to leaders and have them evaluate where they are in terms of their emotional intelligence, because the thing is, emotional intelligence can change. Your personality is hardwired into who you are. Mm. But emotional intelligence is behavioral. You can affect change. Yeah. So if you know where you're at, then you can grow. And I think that's really what it means to be a leader, that we all have shortcomings. We all have limitations. But if you are self-aware enough to say, you know what, these are things I'm not very good at, or these are things that I'm I'm in. I'm holding my team back. I'm holding myself back. I'm holding my business back. Those are the moments that you can start to change. And typically, it's people-related. It, we don't screw up on technical skills and our ability to do work. We screw up on our ability to empower other people to uh, – we, we screw up on how to procure results through others. And that's all EI. Is EI something that is a skill set that – can be honed and improved over time? And if if that is the case, what is one thing you would recommend our listeners that are that are, that, that are doing everything that they can or are aspiring to become the best leaders that they can be? What's one thing or what's one piece of advice you would, uh, you would like to put out there? Well, I think, uh, so you, the, the first question is yes, your emotional intelligence is something that you can change and evolve and grow. And that is scientifically validated that you can become a better leader. Uh, I think the key to this though is self-awareness and understanding what are your strengths, what are you good at, and what do you, uh, and where do you need help? And Part of working with others is being very self-aware of your strengths and weaknesses and areas of growth and, and asking for help. Um, I don't think there's going to be one solution for every person, but I all think that we can get support either in the form of a coach, paid or free, a mentor, or even working with our teams, whether it's our employees or our colleagues, and asking for help. And that simple act of vulnerability of saying, this is where I'm struggling or this is what I want. What can I do? How can you help me? Um, and 
that uh, it goes back to what we started with that idea of comp- being vulnerable and a competitor. Mm-hmm. You can be an Uber drive driven entrepreneur, but if you're not vulnerable enough to ask for help, you're never going to succeed. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, you're hitting a lot of uh, points home with, uh, with this point. I uh, never imagined the true power of coaching and, uh, and mentors till actually six months ago where, and, 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 and if you'd measure the correlation of how I've grown ever since, it's mm-hmm. to the dot accordingly to what you've been saying. I have a, wow. you know, a coach for speaking. I have a coach for mental health advocacy. And and wow. and if you if you measure all, and I always say you're just as good as the people you work with. And I when I say it, I mean it from a very uh, professional standpoint, not a personal standpoint as well, because mm-hmm. good is very very subjective, right? But when I say good, I mean that I, I always try my best to seek out a mentor that I essentially would like to envision myself living a day in their life. Um, so for, for the mental health advocacy, I, it's the World Federation for Mental Health President. And for the speaking, just by reaching out uh, and asking for help, embracing the vulnerability, you just said it. It's, he's a guy called Tanvir Nasir. And I never imagined from a podcast episode he would ask me to review a, one of the biggest keynotes I'm giving on February 22nd at the largest Arab youth conference. Uh, Amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. And like we're one out of 12 speakers and it's the first time an Arab mental health ambassador uh, well goes on stage and I'm essentially talking about the power of harnessing community. Essentially, how do you reach out a hand and exactly do what, what you've said. And it's very, very, very interesting. You, you bring that Im- imagery out, like reaching out, putting your hand mm-hmm. out, because that is exactly the, the punchline of the talk. And Great. I find that widely fascinating. But without digressing further, uh, without digressing a, a lot, I'd mm-hmm. like to touch more and dive deeper into Sticky Branding, the book, because yep. I know okay. it's a bestseller. Mm-hmm. How did you get it to become a bestseller? And I know you're you're a very competitive person, but more so, what is the punchline behind sticky branding? I know we touched on that, but how is diff- yeah. how sticky branding different from 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 your new book? So sticky branding was my first book, and it came out of that origin story of rebranding my family business. And and so when I rebranded my family business, I was a sales guy who didn't know anything about marketing. And so if you see behind me, I've got all these books, and basically I got yeah. started reading everything I could get my hands on, and I read all the marketing and branding books I could come across. The problem was most of them were about big companies, mm-hmm. and they were all about Apple and Nike and Starbucks. And I had I wanted a book that showed me what are the practical principles of a small business that has a marketing budget, but not a vast marketing budget. I wasn't mm-hmm. a solopreneur. I had salespeople. I, I was a real company uh, or I was a bigger company than I should say like a, a very small business, but, but we were in this weird dynamic. And so when I wrote sticky branding, I wanted to book that, that would help me. And so my definition of a sticky brand is creating a first choice advantage. Get your clients or your customers to know you, like you, trust you, so they choose you first. And any company of any size can create a sticky brand. And then what I did was I went out and I interviewed and I profiled over 150 business owners and companies from around the world to discover the best practice beyond what I had done in my own business on how we're small privately held businesses between 5 million and 500 million growing remarkable sticky brands. And so that's where the book came from. 
Wow. Um, the reason it's a bestseller is marketing. I promoted the crap out of it. Uh, we had a solid launch plan. We pushed and pushed and pushed. Uh, it was so effective, actually, that we sold out all the copies worldwide in the first four hours of launch. Uh, which shot, the, the publisher was not expecting that. And so that got me a number one Globe Mail bestseller. I beat Oprah. That's what goes on my resume. Um, but we ran out of books, so we didn't get to keep that for a couple of weeks. But um, it was it was hard work and, and, and luck and a bunch of stuff that came together. Um, and uh, yeah. I think I know now who my mentor is for my next book. <laughs> <laughs> I will be happy to help. We've got a marketing plan you can plug and play. <laughs> I'd like to now just dive into a final um, question for, for, for our episode today. It's how can, how, can sticky, how can we relate sticky branding, of course, to purpose-driven uh, organizations, mainly social enterprises and whatnot? Because there's something about social entrepreneurs that um, you know, typically they're, they're, they don't focus primarily on the business as much as as, as, as you know, very driven finance, you know, tactical, like uh, driven entrepreneurs, if you, if you get what I mean, what's yep. one thing that you can uh, put out there for, for people that, that want to do good in the world, change makers, but also want to have something that, that can give them their first, um, their first choice advantage as I, as I quote you. Yeah. So I think if you want to make change, you want a brand brand strategy and, and growing brand awareness. Like if you look at all the greatest social enterprises of the world, they are all well known. They all have clear missions. They all have clear purses, purposes and, and intended impacts. That's marketing. That's branding. That's the ability to communicate your vision in a contained way so that anyone gets it. And that's something you should strive for. Uh, but you're also hitting on something that's very important to the mid market. That is uh, your purpose and your ability to affect change mm -hmm. is also driven by your ability to make money. And this might yes. be counterintuitive. Yes. That's what I wanted to get towards. That is my biggest challenge and please go for it. Take the floor. So one of the companies I profiled in sticky branding is icebreaker, the clothing company. They make Merino wool outdoor clothing cl stuff. And I asked Jeremy moon, who is the founder um, how does he measure his brand success? And he said, revenue. And I said, why would you use revenue? And he said, because that's a direct correlation to the number of people wearing my clothes. So when I was at 10 million, we were serving Australia. At 200 million, we had 4,000 store, we had 4,000 uh, stores, we were in 44 countries, we had 250 million revenue, we had a lot of people wearing our clothes, and we were doing good, and they had a, a purpose-driven brand because they believed Merino wool uh, was harvested from New Zealand, was more environmentally friendly, safer and, and, and better for the animals, serving the community. It had all these social impact elements to it, but it was all dependent on their ability to hit to, to the reach goals. So if you truly want to have social impact, then you need to have an economic engine. Doesn't mean you have to do it for profit, but you need to grow. So if you look at Habitat for Humanity, it is a global organization that raises hundreds of millions of dollars a month 
because of its business model. So as a social entrepreneur, your business matters. And so I think there's really two important things that should be defined in a brand strategy, uh, whether you're a social entrepreneur or a for-profit entrepreneur. Number one is, what's your economic engine? How are you going to grow your business to the next level? So that could be 1 million in revenue, 5 million, 10 million, 25, 50, 100, 500, whatever that next level is, what is the economic engine that's going to get you there? But that's not enough because what we then need to ask is how are we going to affect change? And I call that an intended impact statement. And what that is, is what you want to look at is in the lens of your community, in the lens of your customer, the lens of the area that you want to affect change. What measurable change can you do over the next five years? What is that leverage point that you can get? And if you can tie your intended impact to your economic engine together, that's your brand strategy, that's your positioning, that is your uh, compass on how to grow your business. And if you do that, if you execute on that, I guarantee you will affect more change than all the dreams and hopes and stories that you could ever do. Wow. I think... Uh, uh... I, I, look, I have nothing to say. Let's not let's <laughs> give some jargon out. I have nothing to say. That was absolutely great, Jeremy. And uh, uh, with that being said, let's just dive into the fun part of the show. Not that this wasn't fun. This was very, very, very fun. But I want to get a little bit more deeper into you as a person. So with this yeah. being said, this is going to be the fireball segment. One minute. I'm going to be asking you, Again, we discussed it. We're just going to be throwing questions your way. And let us let, let me just put the timer on my phone. Uh, Yo, one minute, rock and roll. Yeah. Have you been enjoying the show till now? Oh, it's been amazing. So, so you're a fun interviewer. It's great topics. Thank you so much. All right. So with that being said, we're going in. What is your biggest fear, Jeremy? Failing, succeeding. Uh, it's the same thing. It's fear of failure. Favorite athlete? Oh, now you're pushing me. Uh, I don't have one. Favorite book? Uh, can I say my own? Sticky Branding? Sure. No, otherwise. <laughs> four, four disciplines of execution. Biggest role model? My dad. If you could re relive one day of your life, what would it be? Uh, today? What's your favorite quote? Uh, what may, or uh, It's a quote my dad said, but it was... Uh, uh, Oh, the, the name is falling in my head quickly, but it's, uh, what, uh, we'll go back to that favorite movie. Okay. Uh, Ace Ventura, pet detective. If you could be one person for a day, who would you be? I would like to be, uh, Bill Clinton. All right. That is time up. That, is time <laughs> up. that was intense. Uh, we can go back to your dad's uh, quote. If yeah. I know under pressure, it's, it, can't get the names for the, the words fell out of my head. Um, what did he say to me? It's not about the business you've built. It's about the business you're building. What are we going to build next? Yes, I read that in your book. Uh, my favorite non-dad quote, though, is uh, um, Dr. Zeus, uh, why fit in when you were born to stand out? I love that. I love that. I love that. Misfits. We were just talking today in my keynote at, at the York School here in Toronto, talking about how peer pressure is. Uh, there's there's a book called Atomic Habits. And, um, oh, yeah. It's a great one. Yeah. He, the, the, the author, I, the name of his name doesn't come to my mind at the moment. He's talking about how peer pressure can sometimes overcome someone into doing something they don't want to do, but are innate need to fit in. 
mm-hmm. when we can be really effective leaders, but our innate need to fit in and take, a, for example, a life decision that wasn't our, our, our best, but it completely stirs us in the wrong direction. When we are meant to stand out, it really just hits home to know that people can people are meant to stand out so yeah. um, but it's not in our inherent human uh, sort of wiring to, yeah. to to just go for it so i love that um mm. now diving into the next segment of the show this is the reflectment section uh, reflection okay. section uh, segment sorry of the show um if you were to go back in time jeremy to the 15 year old version of yourself mm-hmm. what's one thing you would tell the 15 year old jeremy um, I think I would tell myself to, uh, embrace the, uh, the creative things that don't seem cool in high school. Uh, it's to be able to do more of the arts, be able to scratch that itch. Don't wait until after you've graduated university to truly explore the things that create passion and energy. Mm, I love that. Is there a specific example that you would have loved to do like on a personal level well i wish i had spent more time in just drawing and 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 art and taking art classes and i just didn't perceive them as cool enough so uh or i didn't actually want to work that hard in high school is the other side of it so uh, <laughs> uh but there was there was things that i have spent time learning that i wish i had developed more in life um and i think it goes back down to that what you said earlier it's the the idea that the uh, fitting in prevents you from doing things that might actually fuel your passion. Yeah, um, there's something that came to my mind. Yeah, in your, in your in your in your book, I saw incredible drawings, and it's funny how you say that uh, for brand new name. I, mm-hmm. I I saw like I love the cartoons that were there, and yeah. it, it almost felt you almost took me to that Jeremy when you spoke about not wanting to draw and i just wanted to yeah. point that out because it definitely your your question is def your your answer is definitely reflected in in, in what i read post uh, pre pre-coming uh, amazing preparation yeah so now cool. onto the legacy segment this is the final mm. segment for the show in 100 years time what would be the title of your of your self-titled book and what would be written on the back matter of it what would be the title of your book in 100 years time? Damn, you're giving hard questions today. I know. Um, Go for it. You're... <laughs> so, well, obviously, if it's your self-titled book, it's got to be your own name. So, it's going to be Jeremy Miller in, like, huge letters, and that's just going to stand on its own. Like, uh, Bill Gates, you just have that. Um, and And so... You just need that your own name there. So, what's the legacy or what's the, the show notes is... Uh, where I think it would be is empowering people to chase their dreams, empowering people to grow the brand of their dreams. Mm. Who would write your forward? Oh, goodness me. Um, oh, yeah. You've seen Are they live or dead? Uh, your creativity. <laughs> uh, You know, the person I would love to write the forward is the one that has used the the ideas after me to create something great. I don't know who that person is, but if someone was able to, where my measure of success in my work is your ability to use my ideas and apply them. And so um, I don't know who the people are that I have affected or will affect, 
Mm-hmm. But that that it's that forward looking thing is I really do believe that like especially in brand new name was how do we write a book that shows you how to do this? How do we get rid of this black box mentality uh, of solving that? And so yeah, that's that's kind of my answer. Be someone who's actually used it and used it to do something really important. I love that. I think it's uh, it's perfectly fine to to say that. Um, the results will speak for themselves, and uh, it's very humbling, actually, to, to 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 know that that is the intention of of, of you having written that book. It's uh, it's it's it it just says a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And with that being said, I, I'm just going to open the floor for you. If you have any final notes, any final uh, comments you'd like to make before we wrap up the show, um, please feel free to go for it. Well, you've run an amazing interview. You've put me on my toes more than once today, which doesn't happen very often. So thank you for that. You've got me thinking, which is exciting. Um, My final thought is actually for everybody is that whether you are an entrepreneur, a leader, a social entrepreneur, whatever it is that you're doing, I think your brand is is key to your ability to affect change and that being able to showcase who you are and what makes you unique, whether it's as an individual or as a company, is a choice. And uh, everyone has a brand, you're, you're, you have one by default, but branding is the act of doing something bigger than yourself. And so my hope for everyone today is to take some of these ideas and run with them and that uh, you have the power to affect change. You have the power to create a sticky brand, to get people to know you, like you, trust you, and ultimately choose you first. And if you can take any of those ideas and use them, I would make me so excited. And then if anyone wants to connect or you have follow-on questions, hit me up anytime. You can find me on any of the social networks at Sticky Branding. And with that being said, Jeremy, I just want to say thank you so much, hand on heart. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you, Ellie. And thanks for all the great work you're doing. Thank you, Jeremy, for an episode. I cannot really put into words how much this was beneficial for someone like myself for someone who has been finding it challenging to maintain that moral sort of ethical standard yet try to make money at a young age and serve the world so i think jeremy's idea and philosophy of branding really put everything into perspective from a from a very unique standpoint but without further ado i just want to say a warm thank you to jeremy once more and for everyone that would love to stay in touch and continue the conversation please feel free to follow us at empathy always wins on instagram and follow myself at ali salama on instagram twitter and linkedin and we're pretty much easy to reach thank you once again for giving your time and your energy and effort to us and we'll see you next week in a new episode of empathy always wins oh and one last thing join our whatsapp group if you want to be involved in weekly leadership free seminars that i'll be giving on how i kind of started everything out from this podcast to everything that's only if you're interested anyways we'll see you next week cheers